MyWax Museum is a proud member of the Create Vine and is produced by Mecco Radio. Hey guys, Alex popping in just before this show starts to remind you to check out MeccoRadio.com. That's M-E-C-H-O radio.com. You'll especially want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter because 2022 is going to have some pretty cool things coming up, including some changes made to this podcast and perhaps some new projects I've yet to announce. So stay tuned for those. Go and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at M-E-C-H-O radio. You can also check us out at M-E-C-H-O radio.com for more fantastic content like this. Now, onto the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Andrew Webb. This was very cool. We talk about building relationships with horses and end up tying that in with how we build relationships with others and, most importantly, with ourselves. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Andrew Webb, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you. So excited. I am excited myself. It's always interesting when I get to interview another podcaster, another creative person, and you are, you're a lot more educated than me. So I hope that as I learn about you, I can learn something about the world here too. So why don't we start with giving the audience kind of a, a connection between both of us? How did we get in touch? That is a great question. Um, I started to do podcasting. I jumped into it, hook, line, and sinker. It's become one of the fun, most fun projects I've done, um, not knowing as well how much work it takes. And then at the end, I... I reached out to other people who are doing podcasting. I want to learn from others who really understand it, like you. And um, I think that was a great way for me to just reach out to people and see, what what do I need to know? What am I learning? And you do these podcasts, and that's kind of how we connected. Um, so I think we have a passion for them. I also, I'm also still learning about them. I don't know. All I know is you can learn a whole lot. And... I love the medium so far, which is interesting to me because I know that the medium is the message. And so in the way that you craft the content, it will be absorbed and digested because of the way it's presented. So I love that learning how to use those constraints in a way that's effective. Yeah. Yeah. It is a really interesting creative medium. And I think we're going to get into your podcast a little bit later on. And uh, just as a heads up, if people do want to listen to it, it's called Micro Behaviors, and I've got a link down in the show notes for people to, to go and check it out. But we'll get into more of that later. For now, let's start all the way at the beginning of your life. Where were you born? Where are you from? I am from a little town just outside of Salt Lake City called Holiday, Utah. Uh, born and raised until about 12, and then I moved with my family to Richmond, Virginia. And then we moved back to Utah for a while. Um, I love Utah. I love it. I'm, I'm proud of the state. Um, I'm, pr- I, I think it's an incredible place with incredible scenery and people and the outdoor experience is second to none. I love the skiing, of course. 
I think there's so many great opportunities for hiking. You get the red rocks in the south, and then you get the beautiful mountains in the north. The winters can wear, I will say that. And sometimes I wonder, do I need to stay in the sun a little bit longer? Um, but that's where I'm from. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, I I have been to Utah plenty of times. I have a ton of friends down there, and I've interviewed a lot of people from Utah as well. But it sounds like for you, the some of the best things about Utah are the outdoorsy things. Did you grow up in like an outdoorsy family? You know, I would say average outdoorsy, but I did grow up riding horses. Uh, started at about 11. And that became my passion all throughout high school and college. It's a little different now when you've got young kids. I don't get to ride them near as much. But there's something about the relationships. Churchill talks about this. He says, there's something about the outside of a horse that is good for the inside of a man. And for years, people have tried to wax poetic about what it is about this relationship with these animals that have been come to this earth to bless mankind for different reasons and some of it's for utility and function and some of it's just simply to enjoy that partnership and there's nothing like a partnership with a horse and the groundwork they talk a lot about horses and groundwork where you don't even you're not even riding on the back but you just create a dynamic of trust and honestly a lot of the work i do which is leadership development some of the best principles of leadership were working with a horse that's where i learned them that is really cool. You you are so romantic about riding horses and about horses and that relationship. In our quick questions beforehand, you mentioned your favorite saddles and how how much of a craft and an art it is to to create something that a cowboy can feel comfortable on, but also you know that has that you uh, use it's right. Just, it's it's based on utility. Yeah, that you use like it's right. Yeah, correct. yeah, and and I. I just think that's that's so fascinating. So maybe looking back as a kid, you mentioned that you start horseback riding early. And when was the first moment when you were with a horse and you said, yeah, like, this is me. This is my thing. Oh, that's a wonderful question to think about. First of all, I would say this. You make so many mistakes with horses. I, I, I can't even fathom some of the things I used to do as I tried to help a horse get to a place where we wanted to go or teach them a certain behavior. And as I'm just talking to you now, I think, Alex, and I've never made this connection, that may be why I'm so passionate about behavior. I honestly have never put that together in jail just now. So that alone has made this entire conversation worth it. Holy cow, what a revelation. Um, <laughs> but that's the truth. You have to, with horses, it's it's called natural horsemanship, far different than the traditional cowboyisms. With, when you wanted a horse to hit a trailer, you got out the two by four, right? A horrible approach, a horrible partnership, not based on trust, not based on um, respect. But you had to learn how to provide the right positive reinforcement with these horses. And the first time I think I really understood that is when there was this lake that we would ride nearby. And it was by a ranch, actually. And I remember my family was outside watching, and I would take the horse to get a little drink of water. And you hear that axiom about you can lead the horse to water, right? You can't make it. And that's true. They are, they'll, they'll let you know. But um, I got, you know, I want to go see how far I can take this sweet horse, this mare named Sugar. And so I took her to the water, 
and then she drank, took a little bit of drink, and then I nudged her a little bit forward, and she moved. And so I'd released the reins just a little bit, which in itself is positive reinforcement for horses, right? There's no tension there on those reins. And so then she moved, and all of a sudden, her front hoof is in there. And then just a second later, she's got two hoofs in there. And then all of a sudden, she's down to her fetlocks, and then the, her pastern, and all of a sudden, she's in the water. And it's the first time in the water. Five minutes later, I'm swimming with this horse. And it was the most fun experience. Now, it wasn't great for the attack, but you just got all of a sudden, I'm having this experience with this beautiful animal. And I hear my family who's on the deck at the ranch just hooting and hollering and laughing as I'm just, for the first time, making such progress with this animal. And I think that's when I knew this is fun. We're, this is fun. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's really fascinating this relationship that you create with a horse. And I'm sure with many horses, I'm sure anytime you get on a horse, you have to establish some sort of trust between the, the two of you and an understanding. Uh, and so I'm curious, did that impact you in any way? Because now, of course, you talk about behavior and you're fascinated in behavior. Did that end up influencing you more on like a human to human level as well? Absolutely. In fact, I've done uh, courses where we've designed leadership courses with executives using horses, uh, natural horsemanship, and they're such great. They trigger powerful dynamics, both emotional and relational dynamics that surface with this animal, but also these are behaviors that are natural for people to people. And so it, it's, a, it's a fun experience to do that. Um, I, I think what's fun about horses too is that and I miss them. I haven't, again, it's been a couple of years with the family shift. I know we'll always get back to it, but um, there's this point when you're in a round pen with a horse that they talk about latching on. And it's a, you have to learn how it happens or when it happens. But as the horse is going around in this round circle, they're concerned about a couple of things that are just deeply innate in horse. And the horse is deeply concerned about what? Surviving, just like all of us. We're all concerned about it. But they, that's manifest in a number of different ways. For example, very often if you see a horse laying down or horses laying down, there's usually one standing up just to make sure that the pack is, I mean, herd is in a good, safe position. These are very much herd animals. And so that affects how they filter the world. The more you learn about the way they filter the world, the more you become a better partner, right? All of a sudden, when they don't want to go into this trailer, because it's a, it is averse to everything they know about the world. It's a confined, dark space. The last place you ever want a horse to, a horse would ever want to go. You're trying to get him in that thing. All of a sudden, if you know that about a horse, you're not going to go in there with anger, angst, or aggression. You're far more empathetic. You have far more compassion for the feelings they have, the nervousness, and for them to even put a hoof on the trailer to get in means something and you reward and you honor their bravery. Are you starting to see the feelings that you get that just relate so well to people, right? All of a sudden these feelings transfer, not just, just this animal, but my goodness, if I'm doing this with this beautiful animal, what am I doing or not doing with the people in the world around me? Interesting. Yeah. It's so fascinating how if you can come to see through you know somebody else's eyes or another creature's eyes uh whatever creature it happens to be 
and and to appreciate where they're coming from. Was there was there a particular moment then growing up where you said, oh, this is something I'd like to learn more on like the human level and understand human behavior as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I So I did a lot of training and development. I'm an entrepreneur in some ways um, after graduate school. And uh, training is a funny, it's mostly corporate training and I've designed custom education for organizations. And it's very interesting because you have great content, but you also have often what's called the curse of knowledge. You understand something. You understand what the concept should be. And sometimes you live it. Let's say those are two very different things. But how do you transfer that to another person? And more importantly, get them to change as a result. Knowledge does not change behavior. And that's the great fallacy that a lot of people live by. It's a professor I know calls it the information action fallacy. The assumption that just because I know that hamburgers are bad bad for me, that means that I'm not going to eat them, right? Uh, Or just because I know that scrolling through social media is not helping my relationship with my companion or spouse doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it. We have what these horses deal with, innate behaviors that sometimes are just what they are is what we call habits. And so for the last few years, I've been working heavily with some researchers, and I love uh, what's called behavior design, identifying ways to change people's behaviors in a positive way. Interesting. Okay, so take me through maybe kind of a Coles Notes version as we get into your present and your behavior design uh, present. What what have you done to get to this place? Maybe education background uh, and experience background that kind of led you to where you are now. Sure. It's been a long journey. I've taken a lot of side sideways and turns and veered off different things. Um, did a number of different training companies, always involved with learning design. Um, and then a few years ago, I just recognized there was a moment when I was with some teachers and I thought, okay, we're going to go over a lot of these things, helping them identify their strengths, what they do really well, which is great. And then I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing some pretty good work here. And then I came back after talking and teaching these teachers. It's about 150 teachers in Florida to do a post-assessment just to see what behaviors have changed. What do you think? Nothing, right? And it was that moment I said, okay, this this is not working. Something has to change. And so that's when I got deep in the research. I've worked heavily with a professor at Stanford um, at the Behavior Design Lab. I'll actually be going back to school. I don't know why. It's crazy to think I'll be doing that again. Um, And working on uh, learning design and technology. And... um, it's helping me identify ways to do what people want to do, whether it's as a leader in an organization or a dad or a mom in the family, to get to those outcomes they're just trying to do. Um, they know where they want to go, but very often it's much like Mark Twain talks about. Habit is habit and should be flung out the window by no man, but coaxed downstairs a step at a time. And very often these habits get in the way of what we're trying to become, what we aspire to do. And so it requires some pretty crafty approaches. It requires a little bit of neuroscience, great tools sometimes. And then more than, that, more than anything else in behavior design, you scale the behavior back. We often think that changing is a moment when it really isn't. It's a process. And sometimes we aren't patient enough with ourselves um, in achieving those changes. 
Hey guys, Alex popping in here to remind you to go and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Mecco Radio. You can also check out MeccoRadio.com. That's M-E-C-H-O Radio.com. Or of course, at Mecco Radio on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for those announcements. Now, back to the show. Maybe um, as, as some advice to listeners, how can, how can we go about being more patient with ourselves in that behavior changing process as we kind of try and coax ourselves into the trailer of what we want in life? Oh, great. That's a great analogy. <laughs> um, hey, that's a great question. I would say this. Uh, it's a mindset. I would say that uh, the mind does celebrate the positive reinforcement, much like that horse. Um, and so for us, it means that if you want to go to the gym tomorrow, don't say, or start, you want to lose weight. That means you're going to go to the gym. You're going to start eat well. The, all those new behaviors, right? And a behavior is a specific person performing an action in a given context. It's important to understand the definition of what that really means. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It, honestly, that's why 8% of all New Year's resolutions actually come to fruition. What, what happens then is we need to identify the surrounding environment, the design, our context. And so that's a big part of it. To check a, take a look at the motivation you have, the ability you have to do this behavior, and especially the prompts in the world around you. We are bombarded with prompts that trigger a behavior in your life, whether it's that little red dot on an app on your phone, whether it's the phone that rings or the pings, rings, and dings we deal with, whether it's opening your car door, those little behaviors trigger, or excuse me, those little context clues trigger a behavior in your life. And so understanding that can help you, I think, hack in some ways what you want to achieve. If you want to go to the gym tomorrow, what do we do? Oh, let's let's take out my shoes, my running shoes, and my socks and my gym clothes, and just put them by the bed, and then celebrate it. Celebrate it for crying out loud! That's a big win. You're you're on the road, much like that horse. You're on the road to change. And celebration can be as much as just giving yourself a verbal fist pump or whatever it is. Just excite. Become excited based on the change that you've taken. Now, will you do more? Most likely. And that's the point. But if you don't, you know that you've gotten to a place that's so, it's, the shift is so stupid simple that you can't help but do it. Right? And so you start small. Scale the behavior back is one of the best ways to start or create what's called sustainable change. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just doing doing a simple task that is going to lead you you know, and then you can add on to it. You can change it. Uh, for one example, I told myself I can only eat one bowl of cinnamon toast crunch before 9 a.m. That that's my my rule. <laughs> Eventually, I want to stop eating sugary cereal, but I'm saying, okay, this is my rule. You know, this is when I can eat it. And uh, yeah, and it, I succeeded at it today. So I set the rule yesterday. So we'll see as it continues to develop. And that's a good one because in all of behavior change, the great fallacy and the great lie is that our willpower will carry the day. And it won't. And it never does. Who we want to be at this moment isn't who we will be when the temptation comes. 
willpower they've learned is an exhaustible resource, much, much like a, a muscle, right? Or fatigue. When you have to exert continuous willpower to abstain from cereal or abstain from the sugar or abstain from whatever you're trying to change, it gets, it wears you down to the point where eventually you're going to lose that battle. And so as a result, you've got to find other ways to replace what has yeah. been plaguing you. Yeah, I like that. And so maybe now is a good time because you give more of this practical advice in your podcast. And so if you could kind of do a quick plug for it, I know it's weird to do that kind of in the middle of a podcast, but this is how I like to do it while we're on topic. Uh, where can we find your podcast and what is it all about? Yeah, so this um, is called Microbehaviors. You can find it anywhere you love to listen to your podcasts. It uses stories from the past, which is a big part of my background, and uses audio drama sound effects and all those things that make uh, content compelling. But we use those stories from the past to help you understand and then apply the latest behavioral research. And just as we are talking, we're not going to give you everything you need to do. We'll just give you one small action that you can do today so you start to not just learn new things but change your life as a result uh, our stories i love finding great stories that just provide a good context right fun engaging stories that help you understand some of the what is usually tough or maybe a little bit more erudite literature in the research and then you can start to make it just yours you start to claim the, the behaviors that you're hoping to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And I love it. It's an awesome show. And uh, I can't wait for more. I know as of recording, season one is over. Is that right? It is over. Right. And again, that's because I bit off way more than I can chew. The team's kind of said, let's finish this. We finished with 13 episodes. We're happy there. And I will say this. It is a lot of research at nights and at lunch. I mean, I am reading, which... Is what I love most about it, to be honest. But it was my brother is so sick of me saying, "Man, this is a lot of work," because it is. It is. It's a lot of work. It is, and it has definitely paid off. It, it's a, it's an amazing and well done podcast. So I can't wait for more. I'm really hoping for more. And uh, yes, yes. Well, season ten will come out next year. Oh, perfect. Okay, perfect. Then I can't wait. Right now, people can go back and binge season one and uh, and happily await season two. So with that, let's start moving into your future as we get into the back third of this podcast. What are the things in your future that you've kind of got coming down the line that you want to see happen? What, what are kind of the hopes for what's upcoming? So I am going to be moving from uh, Utah with my family and my four kids. We'll be going back to school in Palo Alto at Stanford University, working with some of these professors. And just, I think I see it as a capstone uh, to what I've been working on individually for the last five, six years, if not a little longer. And um, identifying hopefully some opportunities for working with companies to help them craft products that can shift behavior given that that's what I love to do. That's really what I hope to do going forward. Right, right. And what kind of uh, behavioral shifts do you hope to see in people? You know, obviously you can move it any direction. What, what do you hope for? Well, and that's a great question because everyone's different and has these aspirations that they're hoping to achieve. One of that I'm really passionate about is with technology itself. So using technology as a tool 
and then it's not necessarily a tool to so many people. It's become a handcuff. It's become a curse. And that's so sad. Um, there's a lot of approaches to our digital devices. There's a lot of people who have created some of hysteria behind it. And they've also castigated tech companies as the enemy. And I take a different approach. I look at us as far more capable than we're giving ourselves credit. That we can enjoy these devices for the good that they should be used as opposed to feel enslaved by them. And of course, a lot of it will require some of the work on behavior design. And um, again, the if you want to learn more about it, I would highly suggest go looking at BJ Fogg's work and his book came out last year called Tiny Habits. Fun, exciting book. It really gets to the heart. I would say he's simplified what has been such a mysterious process for so many. And it's a lot. I mean, there's so many. This is really the essence of psychology and learning design is, right? How do we get people to change behavior as a result? But um, in, I think for us, it's identifying the tools that the way we want to use them and then benefiting from it as a result, as opposed to, I think, shirking the responsibility that is inherently ours, right? And so that's what I'd like to do is help people do that too. That's a passion of mine. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I so often feel shackled to, to my technology. And I think I've made a lot of progress this year in kind of turning it into a force for good for myself rather than a, a total distraction from the good that it can bring. So what, what kind of good and in, in enhancing uh, or life-enhancing things do you hope to see coming out of technology in the next few years? Well, I would say this, given what, what I'd like to do is uh, a good microbehavior. I have a dear friend who, this is her world, and she's done research on this, about infusing tools with positive psychology. Um, and she and I were talking one day, and... In fact, it's on one of my podcasts. I, if you want to listen, it's a fun one because she's giving you just really great ideas. So I won't, I won't give away too many fun secrets. Um, I know that's selfish. But one of the things that I've done in my own family that's made a difference, and it's a small microbehavior, is as I'm in, a, let's say, my living room or whatever context I'm in, when I'm on the phone, right? So there's the context I'm in. And anybody enters. I put the phone down right away, no matter what I'm doing, just to make sure that there's not a moment that I'm missing, right? The social feed can wait. The news update on the, the Utah Jazz can wait. And I know that's hard, but it, just put it down for a second and make eye contact. And you'll know if it's time to re-engage, right? If there's a need there. And I've done it with my kids. And as a result, I've had some really wonderful experiences that never would have happened had I not just put the phone down and made eye contact with them. That's a small micro behavior. Another one that I love that she talks about, you'll listen to the episode is, this is more for corporations, but it works as well in any sitting. If say, even if, if you're at lunch, when you get a text message or a Slack prompt, and you know that you need to respond in that moment, which is Okay, it's okay if that's the case, right? Then announce publicly, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to respond to this text. It'll take me two seconds. 
or, oh, I just need to let my boss know that I won't be there until 3.30, right? Whatever the, the text response is. But as long as you've announced publicly to the people who are in that environment with you, as a result, you have held yourself accountable. They can now hold you accountable. The rules are clear. Because the moment that you start to creep on to other text messages or an email that may have popped up or something that just came on your Twitter feed, most of us have too much integrity to dismiss what we've committed to do. And so you're more inclined to say, oh, I've, I can put the phone away for whatever yeah. reason. Um, and it, it strikes me that these micro behaviors that we're talking about, at least in this moment, are focused on our relationships with other people. And throughout this podcast episode, we've talked about horses and saddles and uh, behaviors and psychology. And I think largely that stems from my personal curiosity in what you're studying. And, and I think usually I'm not so focused on what somebody's studying, but more, more their experience and the relationships that they've built with people. And so maybe for the last few minutes of the podcast, it might be interesting to hear from you what kind of relationships you you work on building and and i guess you know what relationships matter to you uh well number one is my wife who's my partner and my best friend and she's been beyond patient with me through our journeys no life ends up the uh, no life ends up uh, as they expected and it's the same as for us, right? Uh, my kids is second is most important. I love the idea of being a good dad. And every day I aspire to do that and be that. Come short, I think, very often. But I'm trying. And I think that's what matters most in parenting. Um, but then I like to find people that can. And uh, this is true about me. I love going deep. I love people who are passionate and have depth behind their words. And even if they, especially, especially, I would say, if they disagree, for me, that's a wonderful moment to go learn, to go understand their backgrounds. And um, I th hope that I'm open to that. It's not easy at times, because sometimes these ideas can clash with personal values and beliefs. But my goodness, if I am, I believe I've had some really positive and powerful experiences with people and have, they have taught me and I hope I'm forever learning as a result. So those are the relationships I, I love to. And honestly, I'm an introvert by nature. So that requires a lot from me. Um, my wife and I were laughing yesterday as I came home from a big event. I was dead for just being on, right? I was just exhausted. And that's the, the bane that all introverts deal with. But there's real power. I think we've learned that in introversion too. You're, you can go deeper at times. You have far more self-awareness if you're willing to go and reflect on your experiences. And a lot of introverts have that natural capacity. So I, uh, I, those are the people I love. I love doing it, but I wish I had more energy to do it more, right? As an introvert, it's not natural for me. I have to space those out uh, accordingly. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've generally considered myself an extrovert and I, I get energy from having conversations with people. And I certainly prefer the one-on-one -on -one conversations. I, I find they're more engaging and interesting and provide more opportunity 
like what we're having right now, where I get to hear from you, hear from your life experience, how you develop these interests that you have and develop these relationships that you have. Oh, and I think we're all in some way or another social. So those feed. Oh, yeah. But it's for some, it's a little more taxing. Like this will be such a great experience. I will love and I'll talk about and be excited, but it's going to drain me. I'll be honest. I'm going to be drained after this. I'll have to go take a nice big break and walk around the, the building. And that's just who I am. I know that about myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I find it interesting how we all find uh, pleasure and satisfaction and energy from different events and different people and different situations. And I think it adds some interest and engagement to, to life. Yeah. And it's, I think for so long, introverts felt like they were disadvantaged. And then Susan King came out with a book called Quiet, and all of a sudden it became a rallying cry that's saying, no, you have sacred and uh, special powers. Use them, right? And no longer do we think that we're handicapped as a result of just those that don't get full energy from the party, right? There, There's value in what we do naturally as well. And I think if there's a lesson here, that goes beyond just introversion with their individual talents and helping people who do what they naturally do well to claim and own their unique imprint on hmm. the world. Claim and own their unique imprint on the world. I like that. Uh, and I feel like I could carry this conversation on forever. That's why I invited you onto the show. Cause after our previous recording for broken bulbs, I was like, I have to talk more to Andrew. <laughs> I, I need to ask him more questions about his experience and his life. And I'm glad that I've gotten to learn a little bit about behavior as well in this conversation. And so I have one final question, which is a question I ask every single guest I have on the show. And that is when you're looking back on your life from the end of it, you've done everything you want to do, hopefully, and everything that you have done already and everything you're doing now, you're looking back on everything. What are the things you are looking back on with the most pride and with the most satisfaction? Well, because my values really revolve around God, number one, and family, number two, I would hope that I've helped foster those right, and I'll use the word behaviors, in my own family, where they are love God first and love everyone else around them second. And if I can do that, that'll matter more than anything, any accolade, any achievement that the world deems of value. Sometimes that's easy to say here and now. It's the key, the trick is to remember that, to not be lulled into those false uh, promises and those, I think, false accolades. That can be alluring. And that's hard for every one of us to say that that's real value. And I don't think that's true. I like that. And uh, I just want to say I appreciate you coming uh, to this interview and sharing your life and your experience and your knowledge with me. And so with that, thank you, Andrew, for joining me. Alex, you are a treasure. I, this has been so fun. Thank you for letting me do it. And thank you not just for listening to and supporting the show, but also for listening to the people around you. Remember to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.